Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Okay, well, welcome back, everybody, to episode 60. Um, we welcome on this episode uh, Ryan back. Ryan, welcome back to Bitcoin Roundtable. Great to have you again. It's always a pleasure to be on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, sound, you sound as laid back as I am. <laughs> yeah, trying to get there. What are we talking about this time, Vince? Well, do you have any uh, news since the last time we spoke? Have you uh, dabbled in any more crypto? Um, I know you liked Ripple and so did I, and that sort of went down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um... Speaking of Ripple, um, I actually saw something pretty interesting today, even though it doesn't have anything to do with Ripple. But uh, it wasn't really a headliner, but I basically saw that uh, Venezuela government uh, basically just said uh, Litecoin and Bitcoin are going to be uh, the currency of choice down there, which is pretty interesting. Oh, really? So the government went forward with that. So they got rid of their uh, petrodollar then, I'm assuming. Yeah, they pretty much concluded that it was trash, uh, that it wasn't going to work. And basically what they're trying to do is implement a system. Well, I guess they already had, but basically it's a government-run system that basically is the middleman for transactions of uh, Bitcoin and Litecoin. And um, by what I read, it's like they're charging a 13% rate or something crazy. Um, but it sounds like a bunch of people are, you know, basically saying, screw it, we're going to use our own wallets anyway. They said the, uh, the use of Bitcoins went through the roof down there in the recent couple months. So right. it's definitely interesting. And I think it's definitely a good step. You know, it's really a good step towards, you know, global adoption. You know, it's pretty huge to get our country, you know, basically saying we're going to use this currency as our main fiat or whatever you call it. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, very. Wow, it really is, yeah. Well, it's been about, I mean, even a year ago, there was quite a few postings on Reddit and various articles where a lot of the, you know, natives of Venezuela were actually secretly mining Bitcoin, um, you know, and it was considered illegal in Venezuela to do that, so it was... You know, there was always, they were always worried about getting caught, and some were, and had all their stuff confiscated from them and such. But, I mean, you know, when there's nothing else that lets you put food on the table, I mean, you, you do what you do, <laughs> yeah. right? Sure. So it sounds like the underground industry has really become into the foreground. Is I, I haven't read up on the news. Is the, has the Venezuelan government changed, or, or is it still, is the ruling party still the ruling party that was there? you know like a month or two ago or i'm not seeing anything about a party changing but what you're saying ryan definitely is true yeah no there's almost 32 million people that live in venezuela yeah but the same population as canada a lot of people you know, just, you know thinking of venezuela you know going from i mean they are a country you know pretty much a first world they're a pretty wealthy country yeah it's a show that within a year you know your money could be completely worthless so you got a feel for the guys that might have had, you know, 50 grand laying around a bank account or under their mattress and watching yeah. that completely come worthless. I mean, it just really, really changes your aspect. And, you know, at least for me personally, I had a lot of fiat cash just sitting around and I'm like, well, I'm not going to, you know, risk it because, you know, something like that can happen anywhere. And, you know, especially looking at how much debt the world's going into kind of, you know, makes me feel a little safer putting my 
you know, actual money into something other than just letting it sit around. Well, I, I don't disagree with you, but you are in the U.S., which is basically considered the the world currency. So I would say that you're probably safer than most, even yeah. Canadians, right? Like in yeah. Canada, we probably have a running a greater risk. You know, to me, you get a more so a government that has strong socialist tendencies. It's easy to all of a sudden go down that slippery slope of high inflation and where your the, the currency that you your fiat currency is basically just the real value of it drops by, you know, it could be anywhere from 2% to, you know, if it gets bad, it gets into 30, 40% a year. I mean, I think Venezuela last year, they were running about, uh, I think at the highest, they were running well over 2,000% or something like that. Well, it was incredibly year. high. They were issuing, you know, million dollar notes that were worthless. Yeah. Basically, yeah. like Zimbabwe did many years yes. ago, right? The Zimbabwean dollars where you're holding a $10 million bill of Zimbabwe dollars and it can't buy a loaf of bread right so yeah. things things can slip fast you're absolutely right about that but it's a, it's also an interesting test market for crypto whereas it's an awful lot of people that are going to really start using it and yeah I would argue that many already had in the in the underground but now it seems oh. like it's out of the underground so it'll be a real interesting petri dish to actually look at and see how this country you know, the economy rolls going forward. And now that it is Bitcoin, and apparently Bitcoin being bought and sold and traded for everything, you're going to get an awful lot of people around the world who have relatives in Venezuela who want to send remittance money or just even, you know, gifts are going to start sending money back home too, and they'll start sending Bitcoin. You know, the other side of it though, is if that government hasn't changed, you know, how can you still have a, a government that's so heavily weighted on a socialist agenda when the government itself has to use Bitcoin or some other currency other than the Venezuelan dollars now? You know, they can't print money anymore, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless there's something else I'm missing. They were th- so they're going to be forced to be fiscally responsible. But weren't they so desperate that they didn't even have a choice either? Like, you know, it's between the rock and the hard place scenario they're dealing with. I mean, I, I suspect within another six months or a year, the Venezuelan government, if they carried on their current path, would be completely overthrown. Because even the military and the police, once, <laughs> once you can't pay them, it, it becomes a lot easier for your government to fall. So history's proven that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like you said, I think it'll be a very interesting study. Yeah, there's lots of oil on the ground in Venezuela. It sounds to me like maybe they're going to start getting their uh, their act together and getting these oil rigs going and start uh, creating an income for the government through through oil and natural resources, which they have in the past. So, Yeah, and what an added bonus if uh, Bitcoin happens to go to 100000 next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's possible. Price it all the last, like, month or so. Where is it at now? I haven't looked at uh, it. I imagine it's still fluctuating around 37 isn't it? So you haven't looked at it either, then? Yeah, I believe it's 37 Today I looked at my portfolio. I had a nice 10% boost. Hey. I'm, a lot, I'm pretty big, and I got... Not big, but I bought some Ethereum and some Litecoin on the dip. And uh, Ethereum and I mean, like those two, I guess you can say I've been, you know, I think Litecoin's up around 60 or 70 percent since I bought it a couple months ago, so I'm pretty happy with that. Nice. It's slowly starting to come back up, so it's, it's pretty interesting. I've been happy. I think right I'm up about 30 percent this year so far, so. Oh, hey, that's great to hear, Ryan. Wow. 
But given that, I mean, there's been a lot of fluctuations. One day it's a 10%, the next day it's down 7 Yeah. Uh, so it's been interesting. And you look at the charts and, you know, it looks like, you know, on the way up it hits a certain point, then it just, you know, a straight drop, which I'm guessing is, you know, a big whale or whatever you want to call it, wealthy guy selling, you know, basically manipulating the price still, so... I think it's a foregone conclusion that the the whole crypto market is still heavily manipulated by whales. However, having said that, it feels like, you know, they're starting to find a bottom. Once you really find a bottom and people start to believe in the bottom, that's when you that's when you can start seeing, uh, you know, another build towards, uh, you know, constant, hopefully stable growth. I mean, sure, do I wish for another bubble? Kind of, so I can play this one back. <laughs> but actually, I don't. I'd rather just see stable growth with people adopt, you know, being partly driven by adoption, better apps, more usable apps, more, you know, friendly apps and wallets and higher security levels and less scammers. I, I think that would just go a long way towards, you know, bringing the trust of the populace back into crypto where we can actually start going forward with this instead of always worrying about whether we're going to lose our shirts or you know someone's going to steal our money or something that's well said yeah bringing the trust back in would be huge right yeah but you know our our interview a couple weeks ago he follows the or the frequency or quantity of uh, conversations on social media he says there's a lot of conversation about crypto again so he's quite certain you were going to start seeing a, a climb i think he called what do you call a thirty thousand dollar bitcoin by the end of the year which seems like impossible to me now looking from the at the bottom but uh, who knows what did it shoot from when it hit when it got in there around 19 and 20. Oh, and did it go to bubble bubble range? Oh, yeah. Well, it was like seven grand in November, and oh, who knows? Yeah. I was kind of curious, listening to a bunch of your podcasts, uh, if there's any updates going on with the old housing market up there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> People are kicked out to the streets yet. Well, it's interesting about the housing market. I was reading today that the realtors are going to some form of meeting arguing that they want to take get the stress test taken out because they say it's bringing down housing sales yeah yeah and apparently they're going to actually get heard and they got a say in this which i I think is freaking asinine what what's happening up in canada is the government the trudeau government had there's a big scandal going on with snc lavalin in quebec a couple ministers have quit a lot of people starting to get their eyes open realizing that you know pretty much all politicians are are the same (laughs) (laughs) they they thought you know they thought this this one was going to be different and better but it turns out it's not i've been reading elsewhere online that it's generally assumed that the government is going to lessen the stress test and they can sell it as allowing more first home time buyers to be able to afford a home but all it's really going to do is keep the house prices higher and then bring back 30-year mortgages i think or something like that yeah which you know goes against exactly why we put the stress test in again be simple like let's say you go to a bank and you're looking for a home for five hundred thousand dollars and you put down your down payment they put the stress test in where you needed to be able to prove two points above what you're okayed by the bank for. 
uh, just in case, right? We had three consecutive raises until they froze it. Yeah, but time, the right? economy's in the tank again, so they're, everyone says it's going to go up, but I got a feeling it's going to just hold. Leave the stress test there. It obviously did what it was meant to do. So realtors are losing money because they're not getting as high as commissions? Well, and mortgage brokers and uh, home renovators. Like, probably 30% of the GDP of the country is related in some way or another to real estate. Sure, but people are still buying, and I think all this stress test is doing, it's saving a lot of people that really shouldn't have homes from getting homes, and I think that's okay. Homeownership is not a right. No, no, but all I'm saying is homes now, people don't trust in the Canadian stock market or investments or anything. Basically, the only thing that people believe in is if you buy a house, then eventually you can sell it for a lot more money later. Yes. So all the Canadians believe that. That's why they're still, for some reason, reason buying houses for $900,000 in the U.S. would probably be worth about two thirty, two forty. sounds like it's like... Uh... Well, what you said after taking away the stress test, it almost sounds like they realize there's a bubble and that if they do that, it's going to pop the bubble. So they said, now we'll just keep pumping it up until it kind of pops on its own. Yeah, but it's... Essentially, they wait until the next, you know, if they lose the next election, they let it you know, pop. You know, under the conservative mm. or whatever the heck, whoever it, guy wins it. But it's maybe a, that's completely wrong, I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful political tool because... <laughs> If you don't really understand it, which a lot of people don't, they just think it allows them to be able to afford a home more easily, of getting rid of the stress test and you know having longer term mortgages. But the real impact of tightening up, you know, having a stress test and you know not having super long mortgages is eventually you know, it gets reflected in a lower house price, which really, at that point, it becomes more affordable, right? So we're all waiting for house prices to reset. But are they going to have to hit the bottom before they do reset? But to some degree, you look everywhere worldwide, right? Like, we've had this QE stuff, like a expansionary credit going on, monetary stimulus going on, basically worldwide for the last 10 years. So anywhere, even at even in the U.S., but pretty much anywhere on the planet, you've seen, you know, su- substantial increases in house prices over the years. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're looking for a reset because pretty much everywhere you look, you haven't really seen wages or salaries increase to reflect it. Yes. So at the end of the day, the houses are just more unaffordable. It's just the the interest rate rates were cheaper. Canada is Canada and Australia, I would say, are probably the best examples or the most wild examples of increased house pricing and speculation. And no no government wants to be in power when the bubble bursts. Obviously. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I saw in the paper Toronto Star the other day, it was a thousand foot bungalow that was a sold for a million. Too. Yeah. Like I've seen sheds bigger in our area. No, this was in you know, somewhere in around Toronto. But give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. Housing market. I'm. Uh, I, I'm glad I'm not buying. I really can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Down here, it's interesting. Uh, 
at least in my generation, was seeing a lot of interest in what we call tiny homes. I think I talked to Darren about this before, but I'm pretty sure he said they're like illegal up there because they're not uh, no, not enough square foot or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I'm seeing them becoming pretty popular, and really that's kind of the way I'm looking to go because, you know, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can build a house for 30 grand, you know, make it relatively luxurious if it's only 400 square foot or whatever. That way you can pay it off in a couple of years and, you know, not worry about the mortgage or whatever. But right, right. Yeah. People are buying bigger, you know, more expensive houses where, you know, the younger people, I should say, that can't afford it or down here I'm kind of seeing you know people going smaller and leave a less footprint why take out these big interest loans if you, if you can have a tiny home and make it yours right customize it make it comfortable save your money invest it do something else with it instead of like signing up to a lifetime of debt trying to you know plus this you know the taxes the, the cost of heating and air conditioning the secondary fees that you pay for this level of space at least in canada i mean it's quite high you know the municipal taxes go go up every year in percentage wise right not not just in real terms but everywhere up here the costs just keep going up and yeah you know uh, people they just don't have any money left in their pocket it's really it's an interesting scenario to observe you can see it everywhere you go up here now especially in the stores and stuff because people aren't going out they're not buying i mean sure some do right like the uh usually the older generation that have substantial pensions and some wealth but uh the younger generation you can tell they're suffering no doubt about it yeah I, I really think the whole tiny home thing is very interesting. We had this conversation at dinner the other night because I saw this Netflix documentary on the amount of space you actually use in our homes. Yeah. And it would go, go through a bunch of people's homes throughout the year and it would, you know, basically light up where their concentration was. Yeah. And I feel very hypocritical for talking about it because I think I have a very large footprint. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, you got three kids, right? I mean, it just depends on the size of the, how many people the place is holding and all that, but yeah. Yeah, tiny homes are hard when you've got growing families. Yeah, right? but if it's just you or, uh, you know, even a couple, then. Well, perfect, it'd be great for retirement. In 10 years, my, ki- my kids are gone, that'd be awesome. They don't have to come over and visit. I can go visit them. <laughs> it depends what type of person you are, right? If you like stuff and you've collected stuff, then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of stuff that accumulates over time. People need some of those uh, shipping containers now. Like, I see there's a place yeah. like an hour away from us. You can buy a shipping container, 40, 40 foot, 20 foot, I think, for $2,700 delivered. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people are just getting creative with them, but I mean, I saw some guy with like six containers kind of stacked. It looked like a, you know, a luxurious designer house, but he said he did it for like less than 150 Yeah. It's pretty, you know, it's just how creative can you get with stuff people call junk? Mm-hmm. Stuff that's actually decent if you really put your mind to it. Fuck money and make a cool little creation. Some of those houses are tremendous. I mean, they've got, they've, They've got offices in some cities that I've yeah. seen, and you know, in England, I think it's pretty popular now. I saw some in Scotland when I was over there too. But you know, Canada being the corrupt, paid-off country that it is, <laughs> uh, you how know, do you feel, Darren? 
all the municipal townships and such just don't allow it. Yeah. You can't build a tiny house. You can't build a shipping container house. I mean, you could fight for special permission and maybe live in the middle of nowhere. They might allow it, but it's an old guard with old rules that need to be broken down, but who wants to spend their time fighting it? Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds like the U.S. has a lot more opportunity in that regard for uh, allowing you the freedom to build the type of home you want. Yeah, well, it depends where you live. They said California is strict. Yeah. But, like, you know, if you live in, like, rural America, you're essentially really a conservative state. They really are a lot less, you know, going to be on you where, you know, California is pretty, pretty uptight about all that stuff. So. Hmm. What's the pro- I'm still doing I watched a YouTube video of a guy who's actually doing like a documentary of how he did it. He had a cool layout. He actually had made, made it was a square foot, you know, limit too, so he actually just bought three of the containers and kinda of made like a little guest house and a little storage garage with it too. But it was a pretty cool project. Yeah. He laid out how he got to pay about twenty thousand bucks to get all the you know, paperwork and extra whatever the whatever you call that stuff. Yeah. Legal stuff that permits buy. and such, yeah. You gotta buy the land too, right? Yeah, I got you said I got a cheap piece of land it's kinda in the middle of nowhere. But is, uh, well, is, that's in the U.S., right? Is, is land, land is actually yeah, yeah, not well priced. Stupid <laughs> priced up like it is up here, right? Is land pretty well priced down where you are, right? Oh yeah, I mean where I live, it's pretty dirt cheap. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny because you'll get people from like the city or wherever they'll, you know, around here they'll say, oh, I just bought you know a thirty acre you know farm for one point three million and they think they got a good deal and the names are all like you just got, you know. <laughs> That's probably like, you know, less than a hundred grand actual value, but because he didn't know any better. Yeah. They figure up for you, but well, that's the name of the game. Yeah, so we're still watching the housing market up here. I'm Dar- Darren still thinks it's going to crash, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to wait anymore. I'd, I'd rather just move. What do you do? Well, it becomes one of those inevitable things. Uh, what are you waiting for? Basically, I'm waiting for people to go broke and wind up on the street, and then you start seeing house prices come down. But, but if that doesn't ever happen, it could be you. Well... Why would it be me? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not well, sitting on a eight hundred thousand dollar house that's worth two hundred thousand. So. No, but you're not happy renting though. I'm not happy renting, but where, where's all this menacing talk coming from? It's not I menacing. Like rent. I love renting. <laughs> it's not. I I would love to rent. The nice thing about renting is you can just pack up and go. If you Absolutely. Want. But Damn. as housing as housing prices raise, is the rent going to start rising too? It's already risen. Yeah, that's true. So here's a question for you guys. I'm not really sure um, how your education system works, but I was talking to a buddy of mine about crypto, and he actually was sold on the idea solely because he said, you know, well, at least down here, the student debt numbers are getting ridiculously out of control, and uh, basically no one out of college is able to find a job. I actually just had a job interview, and uh, the boss I was applying for, he said, yeah, I mean, more about 85% of the jobs are going to be in trades, uh, so college degrees aren't really getting you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, I was just curious if it's, you know, I don't know if you have to even pay for college up there, how it works, but uh, <laughs> I know down here, a lot of my friends are going six figures in the hole and they're working at Starbucks because they can't find a decent yeah. college job anywhere. But <laughs> 
Well, that's, that's, that's great timing for this question, Ryan, because Vince personally has a good answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can tell you exactly what it is up here, um, going away to university in September. And from everything I've seen, the schools that she's applying is going to cost uh, about twenty grand for the first year. That's not too bad. It, there is some subs, there's a subsidy up here. I think the government the yes. government does pay some. I don't know what the actual percentage is. What does it cost to go to university down there? If you were to throw residents in, you know. It depends what school. If you go, they have you know what we call state universities. If you're in state, so like if I went to a school in Pennsylvania, uh, I think tuition somewhere around seven thousand dollars, and then your room and board. I don't know what you pay room and board, maybe six thousand or something a year estimate I don't know and you have your food stuff so I mean, so about 15,000 US but like if you're going private university or you know I have some friends that go out of state you're easily looking at you know 30 to 40 range right yeah okay yeah it, it doesn't sound like it's too far off like an in, I don't know what an international student would pay to come here. Maybe you know. Triple. At least, yeah, they pay a lot more. So it's six. It's fifty, sixty thousand. Yes. A year. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is probably equivalent to out of state or close to it. Uh, so. I, I do hear what you're saying about the debt, though. There are so many kids. You know, you said in the U.S. and even up here too that you hear stories about that are you know coming out of their programs and there's so much in debt that. It takes them years, like sometimes decades, to pay that off. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a friend. She just told me this, you know, crazy story. She's going for, like, speech pathology or something. Apparently, you need your master's degree to get a job placement. Without it, it's completely worthless. Yeah. And she said to get into a master's degree down here, grad school, apparently, uh, you have a 20% chance to get in. Yeah. And um, so basically, you apply everywhere. She got denied most, and luckily she got accepted to one of them. But you know, eighty percent of the people with bachelor's degrees a lot of them had four point and you know now they can't do anything with their degree because they can't get on the master, which you know blows my mind that someone wants to spend more money if there's not enough opportunity to get in there. But I guess it just shows how inflated some fields of study are. I mean, it's really kind of the university's fault. Well, it's very it's it's the students' fault for being stupid enough to take the program, but I don't know, I kinda of think some of the universities should really look at actual job outlook and say, Oh, you know, if, you know, this field's not gonna produce any jobs and we probably shouldn't be ripping people off. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess in a per, in a you know, real perfect world that would be nice. Um, they did do that up here with the teachers. They actually uh, froze teacher admission, and they weren't accepting any more students for teaching programs for a couple of years. That's a good idea. I mean, it makes more sense to it if it's, you know, if the states actually or the country's paying money into it. You'd think, you know, since their students are taking out debt from them, they'd probably step in and say, oh. Yeah, and especially since, you know, like Darren said, some of ours is funded, so therefore, you know, we would get some of that, where I believe down in the states, if you your schools aren't funded they're just they're just cash machines are they not oh yeah they're all, yeah they're they're pretty nasty really it's, a, it's really a big scam the way i look at it recently yeah. going for college and really i mean i don't know how it is up there but i'll be honest um, in the states a lot of it's going online even if you're <clears throat> on campus a bunch of the classes are sourced online 
Yeah. And uh, the biggest issue is they, uh, pretty much every university has a universal curriculum they're teaching. And so when you have a quiz and you have no way of, you know, monitoring what the student's doing on the computer, and you can just copy the question and paste it into Google and the answer pops up. Um, it makes it pretty easy for kids to fly by with 4.0s and actually learn nothing in the process. But. Yeah, I mean, it bites you in the end if you're <laughs> if you're really hired on what your degree says you're good at and you're not, then you're going to have a well, problem. Really, the, the big issue is whenever enough people do that, which I think is starting to happen, uh, you're going to get employers that <clears throat> hire a person with a degree and then they realize they can't do anything. Yeah. So they eventually keep up in their standards, and so now you don't just need a bachelor's degree, you need this certification, this certification. Right. That, that's <laughs> how it works. Yeah. You read stories about people like that on Reddit. One guy I read one time said, I got a job doing blah, 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 and I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I lied. Everything I said was a lie to get this job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, universities, there's no ethical standard for them that they need to hold to, right? They're, they're all about increasing the breadth and income of their establishment. And yeah. if that means, if that means more kids are going to sign up, you know, and wind up with no jobs at the end, then, you know, they will go there. They'll try to get jobs, obviously, because part of their reputation is staked on it. But make no doubt about it. I mean, you know, universities are just businesses. Yes. Um, you know, but this, I just look at it as a long swinging pendulum, you know. Like, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, I would say, you know, um, having a degree was a huge thing. And they, they were rare enough. And um, the people holding the degrees, you know, they went... You know, there was no, there may have been some cheating, but very little cheating. So if you had a degree, you know, you were looked upon as someone who did a, who knows the subject well, and, you know, it can be counted on. Now, all the, you know, all those people that went to school and had good jobs that tell their kids, oh, you got to go to school. And even the people who didn't go to school, and they saw these other people with degrees doing well. So everyone told their kids that they needed to go to university to get a degree to get a good job. So now everyone's getting a degree, but there's only so many good jobs out there. Yes. Um, and, yeah. the, you know, and then all of a sudden now you're seeing the trades become a huge thing because nobody's taking trades. Oh, they're going to be so short. Uh, you know, there was a kid who took a music degree, right? And then he did his master's in music. And he's got no, he's got no job, no income. You know, and he said his younger brother, right out of high school, um, got his ticket for welding. You know, and he's been welding and, you know, for years. And now he makes like 200 grand a year. You know, and so his younger brother and his dad are picking on him for the music degree because he's got no money. And he says it's just humiliating. But at the end of the day, you know, you are ultimately responsible. It's a lot to take on when you're a kid in high school trying to figure out what to do in life. And um, especially when parents want to tell you to get a degree. And, you know, it's it's starting to become quite obvious to most that, you know, if you just go get a simple bachelor's degree or or such, you're probably not going to, 
you're probably going to be in debt from student loans for a long time and you know it's not really going to get you a decent job so yeah. you know it's an interesting conundrum for the young people today no doubt about it oh yeah you know it looks like trades is the ticket right now right trades yeah, is the ticket but they actually um, the state's actually paying for classes so if you want to get trained on how to weld it's completely free yeah, I, I think they subsidize some of that up here as well. They're really, they've really recognized it to be a real problem in, I don't know, three to five years or something. Hey, you need people and you, you don't have yeah. them. I mean, you know, that's who's going to be making some big money. Well, imagine, yeah. sure. Sure, it doesn't get you a corner office or something like that, but the corner office dream is all but pretty much impossible to get anyways. And you're super lucky. Well, or you pick specific professions. I mean, I've always been a proponent of the medical industry it's no secret because everybody needs <laughs> medical <laughs> the medical industry isn't going away people right? aren't getting healthier that, that's one thing i can say you can pretty much count on everything else i think is kind of up for grabs but hard to say yeah. i mean programming is a big one but it takes a certain you have to have a certain capacity and it's not for everyone but uh there are opportunities out there that where university is very much um the path to take but it's certainly not the path to take for... It's not the only path. Generalities, I'd say. You need to know exactly what you want and how to get there if you want to go to university. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's might also, make sense. also a lot of kids that don't know, and there's a lot of kids that, can't, that couldn't be, you know, plumbers, electricians. They just don't think like that. They think math and biology and how many 18 and 19 year old kids really know what they want to do i don't know if i get your argument i'm just trying to play the devil's advocate argument because i do agree with yours a lot it's pretty much it's easy to teach anyone to be an electrician or coming from a guy who has a lot of education yeah where'd it get me ah yes yeah you can't argue that (laughs) come on got you a lot of places (laughs) maybe i don't know i think University, you know, you're 18 years old, go and give it a crack. I get it. I get it. It's expensive. But I don't think so, man. They're, they're using degrees to weed people out of really simple jobs nowadays because, yes, yeah, so many people do have degrees. But no, but they all have degrees now. There's no, no degree. Well, then I guess it's telling you that you need to have a degree or else it's not going to work. I, I don't know. Spend 80000 on a degree to work at Starbucks? <laughs> well, I, I think if you settled for Starbucks, something went wrong with your drive, and maybe you didn't actually go to school. Because I think if you go to school and get good grades and a lot of oh, the subjects I think you mistaken. take, uh, I, I could think be you're very mistaken. Hey, could be. I think. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just the just the field of study. You know, I mean that's yes. The people working at Starbucks are people that went. I mean, honestly, it's just the speech fields on my opinion are really the ones that it seems like a lot of females are going into when there's just not enough jobs there. Uh, but, I mean, there's some degrees, like Darren was saying, the medical field, I think that's a pretty safe bet. If you get yep. university to be a nurse or whatever, you're pretty much guaranteed. Um, but there's some jobs out there that are just, you know, completely, you know, it's, you're pretty, you're going to be pretty fortunate if you actually get a job working in your field study. I see that. I still just don't know what a, you know, what does a young kid know? What do they know what they're going to do? Everybody tells them to go to any university, so they go to any university. Yeah, but, I mean, what's wrong with even telling them to pick up a trade and within five years, if they want to go to university, go to university. 
At least you're self-funded, right? Never hurts, or even works on, you know, manufacturing job or construction. So I kind of get an idea, you know, maybe they'll end up liking that, turn that into a career. Like, the feeling is, for me, the name of the game right now is to not go into big debt. So, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a young person, you know, yes. manage your finances well and be very careful about, you know, paying out significant money for post-secondary school because uh, it might not work out. Make sure you got a plan. I agree with that advice completely. Yeah. The, the debt is overwhelming. You go into debt. You know, technically, you know, the government to some extent owns you. So if you owe 100 grand to a bank that the government owns, at least down here, to me, it's kind of scary that, you know, you know it'd be kind of extreme, but, you know, realism, you know, I think they could take some kind of action and take whatever you own or, you know, maybe get out of the car or out and say, hey, you owe us 70 grand. You have a nice car that's paid off. We're just going to take that. You know, start taking stuff that you know because they want their money. Or just say, you know what, for the next year you need to do some road work for the government. <laughs> stand, there, stand there at the stop sign for a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think up here, what the only thing you can do up here is start raising, charging you interest, right? Yep. Isn't it as soon as you graduate, you get they start charging you interest? Uh, I think you get a six-month delay or something. Then they start it. So I guess as long as you can pay those interest payments, you'll be paying off school until you're dead, right? I don't know. It's <laughs> hard to say. Generally, what I, my feeling is that, you know, most students get out of university or college and with a significant debt load, yeah. they start making payments. Then the, uh, you know, they move to where they can find a job. Their parents are usually give them the down payment to buy a house. And then, then they hope to actually, you know, pay the mortgage on the house and then eventually sell the house and pay off their student debt. Nice. You brought a full circle right around the housing again. That's no, well, that's yeah. that's that's what's been happening for a long, for quite uh-huh. a while lately, right? So, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe it'll still happen. I don't know. Huh. Great. But, well, thanks, Ryan. We appreciate you coming back on this week. Although, you know, I'm a little disappointed we did, we didn't get more insight from you about Ripple. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Some kind of little stagnant, so I didn't want to bring it up I'm a little disappointed that it hasn't hit a dollar yet but maybe my next time it'll be $10 I'll have a load of stuff to send <laughs> yeah cool. you probably will if it hits $10 <laughs> yeah. I don't know but in short I mean looking at a bunch of articles it looks like they're getting quite a few banks on board and my gut instinct saying that the whales are really trying to keep the price very low um for quite a while so I'm guessing you'll wake up one day and it'll just pop through the roof but we'll see all right, Ryan. Sounds great. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for the conversation, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, great talking to you again, Ryan. Yeah, but I want to come back. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Have a good one, fellas. You as well. Good night. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.